Hello, everyone. Welcome to this third installment of our Advent Your Week at St. Luke's or Your Week with St. Luke's. Um, We're so glad you're joining us. We're having a conversation again about our um, book, The Christmas in the Four Gospels. And today we're talking about the Gospel of Luke and its birth narrative. And as we've done with the other two, we want to review a little bit. Um, So let's remember what we've learned about Luke so far. It was written around 80 80 to 90. Um, It was written for everyone. It's very inclusive. It starts off with a kind of a salutation to lovers of God. Um, So this is really where the gospels begin to push out beyond the Jewish community. Um, It's really about putting the past, present, and future together. Um, If you look at the very first chapter, our first paragraph of chapter one, Um, it speaks about, he speaks that others have undertaken the writing down the orderly account. Um, so he's giving a nod to, of course, Mark and probably Matthew as well. Um, but also other, others that weren't chosen to be a part of, um, the canon of scripture. Um, but he's like, I too, I too have investigated everything carefully and I want to write my, I want to write, tell you what my version of this whole Jesus story is. So If you remember in Luke's gospel too, he's writing to the marginalized. Um, Poor is not poor in spirit. It is poor. He's talking to people who are impoverished, people who are broken, people who are Gentiles, people who are outcasts. And it's all about Jesus reaching out to those as well and inviting us into this kingdom experience where everyone is welcome. And of course, Luke is our namesake gospel. That's who we were written after. And, and some say that Luke, the writer of Luke, was the great physician. Um, and I only bring that up to say that's always been kind of a tagline for St. Luke's over the last 20 plus years is help, hope, and healing. Um, and so that's important to kind of who we are. So whether or not that's true, we set that context um, for who we are. So I'm going to ask the other pastors, tell us kind of what's your favorite parts of Luke and the Jesus you've met in Luke? I have always loved Luke because Luke, I think of the four gospels as the best storyteller. Um, You get most of your favorite parables. Um, You get a lot of the stories that you, um, that I, I love, you know, you get the prodigal son, you get um, stories of, of table fellowship and parties and who's invited and um, bringing people together in that way. So um, I love Luke because it's, it's, it's where you find some of the best stories. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And along with that, there's more character development, right? So Mark starts with John. John's fully grown. He's, you know, wearing his his camel cloth. And but and Luke, we get the birth of John. We get more character development. We get to understand more. And and even like we have more characters, like uh, the walk to the journey to Emmaus. The the two we don't know who they are, but there's something else happening there. Like like there's a bigger world that Jesus is impacting um, that that Luke gives us a picture of. Yeah, I'd say for me, it might be that Luke. Uh, expands into Acts, right? So we get to see uh, the journey of disciples starting with Jesus and then starting the church and how it connects to us. Kind of like it it fits with what you said about what the gospel does. It it, it combines and brings together past, present, and future. Um, That that the gospel expands that way into another book in the Old Testament might be my favorite thing about Luke. Yeah. And I think in in that same vein, it also 
I think does the best job of inviting us into the story um, because we are that future. We are, we are, you know, knowing that there is a future beyond this gospel. We can both see that as the book of Acts, but also see that as ourselves. Right. Yep. For sure. I like that Jesus said there because I think all like what you've said, the, the, the storytelling, but it's, and some of my favorite stories and favorite parables are in the gospel of Luke. Um, but there are story stories that push, that push a kingdom of God, social justice narrative, even though, again, Sermon on the Mount and Matthew more, um, Luke is a little bit different in the way he says it. The stories that are told are like ones that like push the narrative or push the understanding or push this gospel of good news for everyone. And when you sit with those texts, make you hear them beyond yourself. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's a less personal gospel for me where when we talk about John next Mm. week, John's a very personal gospel as a disciple for me. This is a, as I know, this is the community beyond disciples. Honestly, it's the community of the book of the people of God in humanity. And how do we, how are we a part of that for me? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about the birth narrative because it's also my favorite birth narrative. It's got all the details and all the, it's got all the trimmings for me. And there's this bigger preamble, right? There's this, all this other stuff that's happening. We learn about, you know, we learn more about Jesus relationship with, with John, that they're, they're cousins and, and Elizabeth and. And Jesus isn't the first miraculous birth in this story. So, so, you know, it's, it's things came, it's a different it's a different way than Matthew does to say some things came before. Um, but to, to see, you know, Jesus birth is miraculous also because John's birth was miraculous. And then the connection between the two of them, and it's not just that John heralded Jesus, but they made a connection in the womb and those, those stories of Zechariah and Elizabeth and, um, and, and Mary and, and all of that, it, it, it really, really is interesting. We did a lot with those stories a couple of years ago in Advent and, and just really getting to dig in to what we often skip over, um, in the same way we skip over the, genealogy in Matthew, we skip over the stories that come before Jesus' birth that that give you again that that um that that you know rising action as you would say in literature to to make his birth the the climax. So I would also and say with- you see that Matthew um influence in the way that just like you were saying um Matthew's goal being to establish a connection between Jesus and the the story of Israel so far and God's relationship with 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 people, um, the story of John the Baptist's birth, right, um, connects to or mirrors um, what happened with Abraham and Sarah, and so it's mm-hmm. like it's these formulas of introducing stories that mirror stories that we know and that prove the power of God, right? To mm-hmm. to to uh, create legitimacy from a perspective of history, but also like Jen said push out to the Gentiles and, and, and retell the story. Right. Right. And, and then also with this kind of pre part, this chapter one, we get um, this beautiful response of Mary, which answers the question that a guy wrote in pretty song. Yeah. She knew, she knew, uh, right. She sings this Magnificat, right. That there was response to understanding what's going to be happening. And that's only, only in Luke uh, that kind of, again, sets the tone for, the birth narrative in chapter two. 
Well, and I love the fact, and it's in our book um, on page 29. It, it's, I always think of it whenever I, whenever I read Luke and I'm not, don't, don't anybody here. I'm trying to make it into a fairy tale, but I always think of the beginning of beauty and the beast tale as old as time. Like it sets it in history. It says, you know, when this person was governor and Augustus and all the Caesar Augustus and all those things, which makes it feel like this is real folks. This is not just, this happened on a hillside, pretty little fairy tale, but this is real. And I love what our writer says. It says Luke is writing long after Caesar Augustus was dead, but the empire continued. So Luke is trying to say, this is happening against what's going on in the real world. Mm. And it matters. Mm-hmm. Um, the writer says um, it was even stamped on the money. Caesar Augustus, son of God. That's the setting in which the angel saying the heavenly music that floats over a weary world is not just a pious sentiment. It is yeah. a statement about who is really God. Mm. So you've got this, like, here's the empire and here's what's going on in your world. And, and I love that today. Like, here's what's going on with Senate races and house races and, you know, who's going to be, you know, run for president and all that stuff. And we get so wrapped up in that. And, and then we often go, okay, now I'm going to go do Christmas and it's my faith journey is, is separate. And Luke is going, no, it's in the middle of it. This reminds you who God is Mm. and God is bigger than these people. And I, Again, that's where I love that whole, the story is the story and it makes you feel like lost sheep and lost brothers, but it's not. Mm -hmm. And that's where we get into that historical piece of what's going on for them. You know, no no matter how you date this, it is after the temple was destroyed. Um, And so not only is this a people who is hearing stories of excuse me, of their, of their, their, you know, God who has been killed in some way and hopefully resurrected if, if they read the whole story. Right. Um, but they have now just seen the, the centerpiece of, of sort of their faith institution destroyed, um, and are trying to figure out where, where you, where you center your faith again. Um, and so, and, and, and then bring in people who, for whom that temple wasn't important, the Gentile community, and how do you create a whole new system, um, and so it is important to for for the Jewish part of this audience to connect. Okay, no, it was part of this too, but also the future. But also we we we're, we're going somewhere. It's still the same God. That God is still present. That God is still working, um, and and brings everyone together in that way. Yeah. At the end of that paragraph, he says, "For unto you is born this day in the city of David a backwater, nothing village to the Romans, but ground zero mm-hmm. of Israel's greatest king." a savior who is Christ the Messiah, the Lord. And all those imperial titles, Luke tells us, really belong to the newborn child. And you just, you read that and you remember that and you're like, God, it's like mic drop kind of like, by the way, all the stuff you're worried about, it has nothing to do with what's really going on in the world. I love that. Mm. So on Sunday, we are going to get an introduction into Luke's house at Christmas. And um, if Mark was a challenge for you, because there wasn't much, and maybe you liked Matthew a little bit, uh, I think Luke is going to feel the most comfortable, most likely. Um, Luke is going to be the house that that you find uh, the, the most Christmas uh tradition in, the most Christmas comfort in, because Luke's house is where all of the symbols are there. Um, All of the things you want at Christmas are there, the lights and the garland and 
the 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 ornaments and the cookies and the smells and the you know the comfortable blankets that you only pull out at Christmas and all of the things that just make you you know you you can say it's superficial but let's be real like it does bring something up in our hearts when we get to drive around and look at Christmas lights. There is just something important about that. And it changes how we feel in the season. Um, and at the center of, of it all, you have this nativity, um, uh, either a nativity set or just the picture or the story that that centers in the midst of all of it. Because this is the story where you get the baby in the manger and the turning away from the inn and the journey. And again, the miraculous birth, both with a Elizabeth and with Mary and the Magnificat and all of these things that when you think about Christmas, these are the words and the phrases and the stories that you think of. Um, and so Luke's house, uh, the writer talks about, he says, for Luke, I long to draw, draw a house that conjured those same positive emotions, the smell of delicious food being prepared, the sound of children playing and the warmth of family gathered together. So there's something also about Luke's house that does become an inclusive space where everyone is welcome. Everyone can feel comfortable um, and there's a place at the table for everybody. So we'll see that a little bit this Sunday. So what about y'all? Is that the house that you're the most comfortable with? Does that bring you joy and excitement? I mean, I love, so the wraparound porch, it's got a big front porch, the artist right one, but I think of a wraparound porch as a home that has, you know, and that, that the, the house doesn't begin when you go in through the front door, the house begins further out. Right. And mm-hmm. I think they all, the author also talked about children playing in the front yard with all the animals. And there's this, there's that openness to it, um, mm-hmm. which I love. I love that idea of, um, of the house begins before you even walk in the door and it, it's 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 already out there right so i, I resonate deeply with that mm-hmm. i mean i'm being quiet because everyone else is my <laughs> like, Jen, you're gonna be jumping out of your skin like this, this is it i mean <laughs> you might see that on sunday too <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I'm cool with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of your vibe. It's, it's it your is. thing. It is. It's it's funny. It's funny too because I spent Thanksgiving taking my mom back and getting her house ready for Christmas, and then my mother-in-law came to my mother's house, and my mother-in-law was just like, "Because they don't do Christmas, because they always used to go to Durham," and um, and my mother's like, "My mother-in-law was like, wow, there's just so much," and I'm like, "Yeah." And I realized, I don't think I actually, my dad always decorated a lot for Christmas, but not to the extent that we do now, like that got worse and worse and worse. And it's my fault. It's because I worked at Chris, I worked at stores and, and Christmas shops and things like that. And so I would bring all this stuff home and I would be the one like in our, in high school and in college, like tearing our house apart and, and putting like, we don't need like, we don't need this picture. Let's put up a Christmas picture. And I like, I feel sort of responsible for my mother's um, obsession with it. So (laughs) (laughs) now my mom doesn't maybe remember it that way, but I'm like, yeah, it's kind of my fault. Um, Because there's a sense of stability in it for me. Mm -hmm. Because Christmas, Mm -hmm. to be fair, to be perfectly vulnerable and honest, Christmas, there were some Christmases that were difficult in my family, very difficult. Mm -hmm. 
And what was steady and beautiful in the midst of it, kind of like what the Gospel of Luke is saying, is that there's this mysterious gift that happens, gift of blessing and joy and love and peace and hope that happens in the midst of darkness and Mm -hmm. in the midst of brokenness. And, And that's what it represents for me. That's why I do all of the stuff is because no matter how bad things can can be in the world around us, there can still be beauty and hope and joy that's centered in this story. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, I, I think, and if I, oh, go ahead, Jeremy. Just, just saying that I think that we have to remember, especially as Methodists, that we are both and people. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess what, what you said earlier, that some people could see it as uh, shallow or surface, but we're, we're both and people. And so there's room for us to um, consider how decorating our surroundings affects uh, affects who we are inside. And also for us to like wander in the longing and the waiting and the mystery of the season that can sometimes be uncomfortable. Like there's room for both uh, if we let there be. That's all I was going to say. Go ahead. Yeah. 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 I, I think I think one of the things, and, and we'll talk about this some on Sunday too, you know, we talked about with Mark that Mark is the more is coming, like look at look at after Christmas. And, and Luke invites us to look after Christmas too, um, but in a different way, in, mm. in a way that that grounds you in the present and grounds you in the story of this birth narrative, but also how that then, you know, be, because we include Zechariah and Elizabeth, because we include the Magnificat, because, because those pieces are included, it, it's not just about this birth. It is about how this birth now is leading into a bigger story. Um, and so while a lot of our favorite pieces of Christmas are in the Luke story. Luke doesn't end the story there. In some way, Matthew doesn't end the story there either, but but there is there's a completion for the birth in Matthew, whereas for Luke, this is this is um a, a waypoint in a much bigger story um and and leads us into where God's movement is gonna keep going. Yeah, well, because Luke then takes us to right after the birth, takes us to the temple. Right. It's the only um, we place have, we, we get Simeon. any of Jesus's child. We have all these, these powerful. Yeah. So it's it's there's there's less gaps. Right. And that's what we were saying before. There, there's there's a fuller thing. And this is because like Jen, you're saying there's a fuller story here by why I decorate. There's 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 more going on here under the surface. Um, that's powerful. Well, and I think it's interesting because each of the each of the characters, uh, each of the people, excuse me, in Luke's birth story. It is set up to how will you respond to the incarnation? So how will you proclaim? How will you be an evangelist? You know, we're afraid of that word. And yet the evangel, I mean, the shepherds are evangelists, Zechariah is evangelist, Anna's, you know, everyone has to proclaim the good news in an inspirational way that it gets, let's go tell everybody else. Yeah. Or how are we going to be social justice advocates? How are we going to take this birth and be the people who live out the Magnificat? Like there's only two responses to the incarnation. Well, right. three, there's three, there's contemplative too, because Mary takes all this and ponders it in her heart. Mm-hmm. There's a contemplative mm-hmm. piece. There's an evangelism piece and there's a social justice piece. These are the three ways you respond to the incarnation of Christ among us, period. Mm-hmm. End of the story. You know, you got to do something with it. Um, and I love that. I love that old skit guys, um, video that we used to show about, wait, hold on. I'm going to keep my Christmas lights all year long because we should, as Charles Dickens said, he kept Christmas very well and it should be all year long. Inviting people 
to the porch, to the house, right? Inviting people, inviting people. It's it's a very invitational gospel and and, and nativity birth. I might actually change my answer about which thing is my favorite to the Magnificat uh, and just kind of the initial interaction between um, Elizabeth and Mary, um, just in the way that uh, you talk about uh, structures that are oppressive being torn down and the low being brought Mm -hmm. high and high Mm -hmm. being brought Mm -hmm. low to, to this equality. And in their interaction, we see Mary who's or or Elizabeth who's older. And we talk about age being a hierarchical system, both then and now we see Elizabeth say, uh, why do I receive the honor of having the mother of the Lord in my presence? Right. And so we already see those systems and those hierarchies, even before uh, Jesus gets going, you know what I mean? But but with Mary's uh, Mary's song and with Elizabeth's response to Mary, we see those things begin to topple. Uh, and that even is, is speaking to us as the future church. How come we don't take that example and privilege and honor the perspective and place and vocation and all those kind of things of young folks? I mean, I'm, I'm sure we do. You know what I mean? But but as a larger culture, why don't we why don't we listen to and elevate the voices of our young folks? Mary was probably about 14. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when we think about that house welcoming everyone in, <laughs> you know, we see Jews and Gentiles in Luke's context, but we can we can expand that. We can we can think about who who is his whose voices aren't being heard here now, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me let me wrap us up with the last few words from this particular chapter in the book. I hope you're reading the book. So this might be something hopefully you read already. But it says this house invites us to be uh, invites us in to be with or to become family. That seems to be Luke's primary theme. For Luke, Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God to all people, meeting them where they are. So it's a perspective that recognizes how God's family needs to grow beyond one tribe or nation to better align with God's vision of family. All people must be made to feel welcome and loved. So. We'll be showing a little bit of what that looks like this Sunday in worship and uh, visiting Luke's house. And so I hope that you will join us then and uh, see how you feel about uh, Luke's living room. So we'll see you then.